0: Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, and it's the letter to the church at Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm... and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, Good morning. Uh, In my uh, daily Bible readings over the last few weeks, I've been going through the book of Revelation. And it struck me as I was reading chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the churches there, how relevant they are to the day in which we are living today. And in particular, it's the letter to the church at Laodicea, Uh, that struck me as having a particular relevance. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever drunk a cup of tea or coffee or started drinking it uh, and then you've left it because the phone has gone, someone's called at the door, you've had a, a lengthy conversation, you come back maybe 20 minutes later and the tea, the coffee has gone lukewarm. What do you do with it? Well, if you're like me, you'll throw it away and you'll start again you'll make a new cup because a lukewarm drink is is very unsatisfying isn't it it's uh, is meant to be a hot drink if it's tea or coffee that was the problem with the church in Laodicea it is known as the lukewarm church so what i would like us to think about this morning is this what is our spiritual temperature like am i hot am i cold Am I lukewarm? Over the last two years, lockdown and the restrictions that followed have had all sorts of effects on all sorts of people. I've had the opportunity over the last year or so to be able to preach in a number of different churches. And in nearly every one of them, they make the same kind of comment. That lockdown has had quite a serious effect on the life of the church And that lukewarmness is one of the factors that's been mentioned to me. That somehow when we weren't able to go out and meet with people, and then when we were, it was very restricted, wearing masks and not socialising and social distancing and all these things have had a spiritual effect on many Christians. Many Christians say that they have felt during this period as if they haven't got the freedom they had before in terms of worship, in terms of service. They feel they've gone a bit cold towards God. They're not as they were, not as committed as they were, not as zealous as they were. What's happened? How has it affected our spiritual life? Well, as we look at this letter to the church in Laodicea, hopefully it will help us. A bit of geography to begin with. Laodicea is in modern-day Turkey, it's in what's known as the Lycus Valley. It's about a hundred miles inland from the coast. On the coast, you've got the city of Ephesus. You go a hundred miles up the valley, you come to Laodicea. Ten miles further on, you come to Colossae, all places mentioned in the New Testament, of course. Now, Laodicea itself was on a plateau, several hundred feet high. That meant it was in a very strong position. It was virtually impenetrable, but it did have one serious vulnerability. They had to pipe water several miles from the river below through aqueducts, pipes, channels, and so on in order to reach the city. And by the time it reached the city, it was often lukewarm. The city was a very prosperous one. It was an important commercial center It was at the junction of two major trade routes one going north south one going west east so they would trade in a number of directions there and there were three main industries in Laodicea and each one is reflected in the letter that we have here the first was its banking industry it was a major banking center they were rich they were prosperous they were wealthy In fact, they were so wealthy that after an earthquake in the year 60 AD, when a lot of the city was destroyed, Rome offered to pay them money in order to help them rebuild. But they refused the offer because they said, we can manage by ourselves, thank you. We have enough money to rebuild the city. And they did. It was also famous for its wool trade. There was a soft black wool that was manufactured there, used for things like clothes and carpets, and they would trade that around the Roman Empire. It was also an important medical centre. It was famous for its eye salve. If people had trouble with their eyes, they would order the eye salve from Laodicea. It was exported through the whole Roman Empire, and they pretty well had a monopoly on this eye salve for any kind of eye condition. Now, this letter refers to these three industries. Let's look more closely then at the letter itself, here in Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22. First of all, let's look at the problem with the church. We see this in verses 15 to 17. Verse 15, and this is Jesus saying these words. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now think of that word lukewarm. That's how Jesus was describing the Christians and the church in Laodicea. He was saying you are like your water supply. The water wasn't hot enough to bathe and relax in. It wasn't cold enough to drink and be refreshed. So really it wasn't a great deal of use for the functions that most people would use it for. And Jesus is saying of the church in Laodicea, that is like you, lukewarm, tepid, Neither hot nor cold. And then we get possibly the strongest statement that we read in the Bible from the lips of Jesus. When he said, this church made him sick. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, those are very, very strong words. Why should Jesus say that about this particular church? Well, let's think for a moment. What does it mean to be hot or cold or lukewarm. Hot Christians, what do they look like? Well, they are spiritually alive. They are sensitive to the workings and promptings of the Holy Spirit. They are warmly worshipping. They are actively serving the Lord. They are careful with their devotions, their Bible reading, their prayer time daily with the Lord. They're careful with their deeds and their acts that they are doing. They are effectively witnessing to other people and so on. Hot Christians. But who are the cold people here? Well, they probably reject Jesus or at least have very little interest in him. Little interest in Jesus, his word, the Bible, the church. They may go through the motions of some form of worship. They may pay lip service but no more than that. But then what do lukewarm people look like, lukewarm Christians? Well, they're attending church usually, sometimes on and off, but they will attend church. They will give the appearance of being a Christian, but their heart isn't in it. There's no real vibrant spiritual life. There's no real commitment there, either to the Lord himself or to the church, or to the Lord's people, or to reaching out to those who aren't yet the Lord's people, they are not good witnesses. There's a head knowledge, but it doesn't go down to the heart. No real consciousness of their sin. No real consciousness of their failings and their weaknesses. They are half-hearted. They're ready to compromise. They won't make a stand for the things of the Lord characterized by such things as apathy they can't really be bothered complacency indifference this is the kind of picture we get of these lukewarm christians here in laodicea and i'm sure that holds equally true for us today as well jesus goes on to say in verse 17 that in laodicea they were deceiving themselves You say, I am rich, I prospered, I need nothing, not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. You see, being financially wealthy, they gave a false sense of security. They were rich in spiritual pride, but sadly bankrupt in spiritual life. Believing that they were to be envied by others, Jesus says, in fact, you are to be pitied. Isn't that sad? Isn't that tragic? Christians in a church who thought they were strong, they thought they were doing well, and yet hear Jesus saying, you are to be pitied. You know, we need very often, don't we, to examine ourselves and to ask ourselves, is any of this true of you, of me, of my church, our church, your church? I'm sure that during that period of lockdown, I went through a period of lukewarmness, as I'm sure many of us did. When somehow my heart wasn't as it should have been with the Lord. Somehow my commitment wasn't as it should have been. My walk with the Lord wasn't as it should have been. And we need to take very often our spiritual temperature. But let's ask this question. In verse 15, Jesus says, would that you were either cold or hot why would he rather them be cold or hot than lukewarm? We can easily understand why he would wish they were hot, but but cold? Why that? Well, maybe it's because of something like this. With cold people, you know what to do with them. You preach the gospel to them. You speak to them. You tell them of the good news of Jesus. You tell them how Jesus so loved them that he gave himself for them that he died on the cross to take the punishment and the penalty for all the wrong things all the sin that they have done he bore their sin in his body on the tree as Peter says that they might be led to God introduced to God to have a relationship with him and he rose again three days later he conquered death and he opened that new and living way into the very presence of God himself that's what cold people need to know what they need to learn and be told with hot Christians well you can work with them you can have fellowship with them you can serve with them you can have a lovely relationship with them and you are effectively serving the Lord with them but with lukewarm Christians, really there's very little you can do with them. They're just not bothered. And even though Jesus is disgusted with this church, we can also see here his love, his grace, and his tenderness. Look at the tense of the verb in verse 16. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth it's a future tense that's very important what's he saying he's saying i haven't done it yet he is still waiting for them he has told them what their problem is and he's giving them time to do something about it he's giving them time to repent and to change he's not saying i have already spat you out of my mouth he hasn't rejected them yet He isn't saying, I am spitting you out of my mouth now. This isn't an act of rejection. Instead, it's an act of grace and of mercy and of compassion. He's saying, I will do it, but I haven't done it yet. He's giving them time to do something about their lukewarmness. So that was the problem with the church, their lukewarmness. Secondly, we see here the prescription for the church in verses 18 and 19 what do they do about it? Now, if you or I have got a hot or a cold temperature, then what do we do? Well, we go and see the doctor, or we go to the pharmacist, we get a prescription, we get some medicine, and we hopefully put it right, that our temperature might return to normal. And in verses 18 and 19, we see the medicine that this church needs. This is what Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me Gold refined by fire, so you may be rich. We are to buy from Jesus, no one else. Buy. Don't be misled here. This isn't talking about in any way earning something that Jesus can give to us. It doesn't imply money. This is all to do with grace, all to do with salvation. It's the same sense that Isaiah used the word in Isaiah 55 and verse 1, where he said, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. This is a three-part prescription, and it's based on the three industries of the city. The first one is wealth, the banking industry. What are we to receive from Jesus? Gold refined by fire. That you may become rich they needed it because we're told they were poor not in monetary terms but in spiritual terms salvation is gold because it makes us rich remember what paul said in 2 corinthians 8 verse 9 you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich Salvation gives us what money can never buy, an eternal relationship with God himself. We become his children, he is our father, we have that relationship with him that lasts from the moment we believe for all eternity. That relationship based on forgiveness, on love, on peace, eternal life and so on. That is the riches that God can give us. And notice, refined by fire is pure. Salvation is pure because it gives us a real, genuine relationship with God through Jesus. So that was the banking industry. Secondly, he refers to their wool industry. When he goes on to say there, you need to buy white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen in contrast to the black wool that they produced in Laodicea. God provides his people with white garments. What's this talking about? It's talking about when we come to Jesus by faith, when we trust in him and believe in him, we've asked him to forgive us for our wrong things, he does a remarkable thing. He takes away our sins from us. He removes them, we are told, as far as the east is from the west. He buries them in the depths of the sea and he gives us something new he gives us righteousness he gives us these white robes to bear because he has cleansed us and forgiven us we often speak about or christians speak about the robe of righteousness it means that when we are in christ when we are trusting jesus when god looks upon us he doesn't see us in our sin, in our mess, in the things we get wrong. But he sees us clothed in what Jesus provided for us on the cross. By paying the price for our sin, we are cleansed, we are forgiven, we have these white robes in his sight. And the third industry, of course, was medicine. And he refers to that here as well. When he speaks about buying salve to anoint your eyes (laughs) that you may see. Jesus gives a real eye salve so they could see him because he says they were spiritually blind. So what Jesus does is take away their blindness, by which he means their lack of understanding, their knowledge of spiritual truths. When they trust in Jesus, they buy from him, receive him. They can see clearly who he is, what he's done for them in his glory his splendor his majesty and his beauty and how in his sight christians are made clean and forgiven but in verse 19 he's saying why he's telling them this he says those whom i love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent he's telling them this because he loves them he's told them what they need to do now they need to do something about it They need to repent. That means they need to turn away from what they were doing, how they were living and turn to Jesus and trust in him, walk with him and follow him. Maybe we could ask ourselves, do we need to go to Jesus to buy, which means to receive that gold, to wear those white robes, to have that eye salve? In other words, to become a real and a true Christian? or to return to what we once were because nothing can compare to what Jesus offers us indeed how can we be satisfied with anything else what he offers is priceless free to us but it cost him everything that was the prescription so we've seen the problem with the church We've seen the prescription Jesus gave them. Thirdly and lastly, we see in verse 20 the priority for the church. Verse 20 is a well known verse where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and eat with him, and he with me. We have a picture there of Jesus standing at the door of the Laodicean church, knocking. This verse is often used when we're trying to tell people what they need to do to become a Christian. And very often this verse is used about letting Jesus in. It can be used like that. But in the context here, he's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about Christians. He's speaking about the lukewarm Christians in the Laodicean church. And he's saying what you have done, and this is a very serious thing, is put Jesus outside the church. And he's knocking, wanting to come in. It's a sad and a challenging picture. Maybe a bit like this. Imagine there's uh, a man who set up a business. And the business has gone very well. And it's grown, it's expanded, it's producing good profits. It's doing well. But then he has a workforce who think they could do better. And the workers rebel. And they say, you know, you're doing this the old fashioned way. Uh, There's a new way of doing it. We should be doing it like this. You should be doing that, doing the other. And eventually they push the owner out of the business and say, we'll run it. Thank you very much. Our way by ourselves. And as time goes by, the business collapses because they don't really know what they're doing. The owner knew exactly what was needed to make that business tick to make it work and be successful. They didn't know that. Imagine the owner is now outside and he's outside pleading with them. Let me back in. Let me come back and take over. I can rescue this business. I can sort it out and make it profitable again. But they don't let him in and the business fails and collapses. And sadly, that's what has happened to many churches in Wales and beyond. But let's ask this question how can jesus be outside a church surely we say if it's a church jesus must be with them after all he said i will be with you even until the end of the age how does it work how can this happen how can jesus be pushed outside a church let me just give you a few pointers he can be pushed outside by neglect by christians neglecting to pray. Neglecting to read God's word. Neglecting to join together to worship and to be fed by the ministry of his word. Neglecting evangelism, telling other people, sharing the good news. It's nothing intentional, they just forget to do it and by that neglect what they are doing is pushing Jesus out from their lives and out from the church. It can also happen through pride pride in our own efforts pride in maybe people who've been Christians for a long time and say oh look I'm all right look at me I've been faithful for a, for a long time I've served the Lord for a long time I must be all right or a church particularly this can kind affect of larger churches have pride in, in what they do look at our church we do this we do that we're involved in the other we're a well-known church we've got a good reputation And there can be pride in their reputation and not in Jesus. And they lose the focal point of Jesus being the centre of their ministry. And their pride can push him out. Disobedience, failure to live according to God's word. Lukewarmness, as we've seen here, just not really being bothered about our spiritual life. Casualness can push him out. Not taking God seriously. A lack of discipline in our own lives, lack of discipline in the church life. Well, we just maybe think of Jesus as, yes, our friend, our mate, our pal. He is our friend, but we can never be on matey terms with Jesus because he's the son of God. He's the one who so loved us that he gave himself for us. He is our greatest friend, but we can't treat him like a mate or a pal coming or going whenever we like. He gave his life for us. Casualness can push him out. Then the opposite can as well. Formality. When we just do things for the sake of doing things. Doing things because we've always done them that way. And so what happens is we just enter into a ritual without any real meaning. And formality can lead to deadness and pushing Jesus out of the church. These are some of the ways, and there are many others, in which Jesus can be pushed outside a church. If any of those things should be true, how do we let him in? Well, when he's knocking, the verse tells us, we hear his voice and we let him in. And notice the wonder of this. Although he was speaking to the church, it's a personal invitation. He says, if anyone hears my voice. Jesus enters the church by individuals, individuals who are asking God to forgive them, turning from the errors of their ways by believing and trusting in Jesus and saying, Jesus, be the centre of my life, knowing that he died for them and they want to live for him. As Christians maybe do that anew, or as those who have never trusted him do it for the first time, so he enters the church through individuals. If we are Christians, believers, when we turn from our lukewarmness and trust him anew, he'll come into the church through us. If we've never really committed ourselves to Jesus, if we turn away from our unbelief and we trust in him, believing he died for us, we receive him by faith into our life, so Jesus comes into our life and comes into the church through us. What happens when Jesus enters the church? I will eat with him and he with me. A picture of fellowship, a relationship and friendship. Sharing a meal in the east was a sign of close friendship. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that when people let him into their lives and when they give him his rightful place, then he comes back into the centre of the church and he becomes the focus of the church number of people have suggested to me that during the last two years because of all that's been going on they've lost their focus on Jesus and the church has somehow lost its focus on Jesus and other things have crept in to become more important in their lives than him. May God grant that we can return in these days to having Jesus as our main focus so that all we do is for him with him and through him. I wonder, are we as individuals, or is our church in any way like that of Laodicea? Can we understand lukewarmness? Are we in any ways going through the motions of church? Could he be outside our lives? Could he be outside our church knocking at the door? If he is, the answer is simple. Hear his voice, recognise his knock, open the door, and let him in by asking for forgiveness and trusting him anew. Then we'll have real joyful fellowship with him. We'll be blessed. He'll be glorified. May Jesus always be at the centre of our lives and at the centre of our church.